You are listening to the DIY Recording Guys podcast, your one-stop information source for DIY music production, with your hosts, Fadim Karaz and Benjamin Hall. Hello, all, and welcome to another episode of the DIY Recording Guys podcast. As always, I'm your host, Benjamin Hall, here with my co-host, Vadim Karaz from Calm Frog Recording. How's it going? It's going good, man. It's going really good. It's been uh, been busy. We're now in full swing of fall. The leaves are changing, so this is kind of my favorite time of year. Not also because it's my birthday, but I just love the changing of the season, so... Yes, yes. Happy belated birthday to you, my friend. And I agree with you, man. This is where we live in the Northeast. This is really the best time of year. Mm -hmm. You get the temperate weather and the leaves change. They they look beautiful. You can take walks. You can drink a pumpkin beer like I'm doing right now. Ooh, It's a a nice time of year. Which pumpkin beer? So I got this, uh, I don't remember who makes it actually, but it's a a nitro pumpkin beer so it's got that like uh smooth like guinnessy type pour and awesome you know head to it so yeah it's pretty good it's pretty good i'll look it up and i'll text it to you afterwards awesome what it's called i try i'm not super big into the pumpkiny flavor like pumpkin just kind of makes its way into like every food group this time of year <laughs> but i i tried a couple pumpkin beers um pumpkin is always good and then i tried dogfish heads version and then and mm. Elysian, um, they have like a a brown ill pumpkin, and they're they were all really oh. good, yeah. So interesting, yeah, love it. Oh, another thing about fall too that's really cool this year for me is that uh, my wife moved out here. She's originally from Idaho, and they they literally don't have a fall out there because everything's either aspens or evergreens. So even when the leaves change, it's only a yellow, and so it's really cool for her. Or at least for me to see like how she's reacting to like all the changing colors. What do you mean? Like when did she move out here? She hasn't been out here for a couple of years? Well, she missed fall last year. So she did move out two years ago, but she missed the fall because she was she was traveling on a working trip. She was gone all the oh. the season the season change. And if you remember last year it was wet a lot. It was like a really yeah. heavily rainy, so like the leaves didn't stay on the trees very long. So we had a very short season. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's exciting. Yeah. yeah that's... So it's cool to, it's almost like um, reliving your childhood a little bit from a third person perspective, which is pretty cool. Yes. 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 Very cool. Yeah. So I guess we'll dive into our episode today. I'm kind of excited to talk about this one. This is our continuation of our love of MIDI is what we're going to be talking about today. Yes. Yes. And I'll, I'll preface it with, we did an episode, episode 20 which was called What MIDI Is and Why It's Your New BFF. And I completely stand by that title. Yes, <laughs> because that will definitely hold up 50 years from now, for sure. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Is it's a, for, the, for the DIY bedroom producer, uh, MIDI is an incredibly powerful tool. Mm-hmm. And if you're listening to this and you have no idea what MIDI is, or you kind of have an idea what MIDI is, but you're not 100% sure, go back and listen to episode 20 first. You're going to get the deep dive on what MIDI is. What's today's episode about with MIDI? This one is all about how to make your MIDI programming, aka your virtual instruments, sound real. Yes, we're going to give you helpful tips and tricks to make your MIDI instruments sound better. Um, Yeah, so we haven't really compared notes yet. I thought maybe I would just give like a quick two-minute overview of MIDI, uh, just kind of the summary of episode 20. So, again, you know, if you're if you're completely uh, clueless about MIDI, go listen to episode twenty first. But the basics of MIDI are as follows: MIDI stands for Musical Instrument Digital Interface, and the example I like to use is something like a player piano. If you've ever seen one of those pianos that plays itself, mm-hmm. it's got some kind of mechanism in it that is like triggering the the hammers on the piano, driven by some kind of uh, programming effectively. You could think of it like a little computer program. Well, that computer program is MIDI, so to speak. That mechanism is MIDI. And if you took that mechanism out of the piano, it would not be able to make any sounds because it doesn't have any way to make sounds. It has to be plugged in 
to a special player piano in order to play the music that's quote-unquote programmed on it. So the key takeaways from MIDI that you can kind of deduce from that example are, first of all, MIDI does not contain any audio information. A MIDI file is just like a small computer program. It needs to be plugged into something that makes noise, like a virtual instrument, in order to kind of reveal its programming. And in fact, you could plug it into different virtual instruments, as you'll see in today's examples. So MIDI does not contain audio information. So what does MIDI contain? Well, again, let's think about that player piano. Pretend that player piano has a robot sitting at it, and we need to tell that robot how to play a song. What is the information we would need to tell the robot? And we need to tell it basically, one, what note to play or notes to play, two, how hard to press those notes, three, when to start playing the notes, and four, when to stop playing the notes. And that's basically the four pieces of information that are embedded in a MIDI file. Now, there's a little bit more in there. We could get into like modulation effects, like you can actually program bends and little modulations into MIDI as well. But the important ones to remember are those four. What note to play, how hard to play the note, when to start playing it, when to stop playing. So that's basically MIDI. So when we create a MIDI file, we're creating a little computer program that has those pieces of information that then we can then plug into virtual instruments to do something. Anything to add there, Ben? No. Very well said. Very well said. Good overview. And if you want to find out more about that topic in particular, go check out episode 20, like Vadim mentioned. For sure. So... What's the first thing in your notes? Just curious, yeah. <laughs> just, curious so I'll, just to make I'll sure. I'll give here. you my, my overview here to give you kind of a better idea. The way I have this kind of structured is I wanted to talk about what is it about MIDI that uh, MIDI or programming that sometimes makes people cringe and as, makes them associate it with robots or not real or fake. And <laughs> right. first talking about it from, well, what makes a real instrument have that human feel, and why do we like it? I have three different points that I want to talk about with that, and then I'm going to keep on recording human, uh, yes. recording like real instruments, kind of getting to the okay, bottom cool, of perfect. that, and then quickly afterwards going to, okay, so since we know what we like about real instruments, what is it about a, a MIDI programmed virtual instrument that makes it sound bad, and then talk about those things? So once we identify those problems, then we could talk about, okay, how do we fix those problems? to make them sound more like what we want to hear. Perfect. So let's 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 do this way cuz this is actually going to tie in really nicely with my notes. So let's do this. Why don't you go over the the acoustic instruments or the the human instruments example? My next bullet point is actually on uh, kind of a the, the ways to record MIDI, the different ways we can record MIDI and mm. then we can get into like the limitations and maybe talk about why these things that you're talking about why the limitations of how we record MIDI may affect uh, the quality of our performance and so on. So yeah, tell us about instruments. <laughs> yeah, sure. Very often drummers will hear this this common phrase from them is that, you know, when I record my drums, I want them to all be real. I don't want any samples. I don't want any programming. And why is there that connotation with MIDI programming or virtual instruments? Um, so before I tackle that, the first thing I want to talk about is, well, what about an acoustically human-performed instrument that's recorded with mics, what do we as humans like about that? Uh, and what is it that is that human feel? I'm doing scare quotes. What is it about a human feel that we like so much? Um, so I think I've identified a few different things. So let's talk about them a little bit. Mostly it's the imperfections in the rhythm and dynamics, the unique touch of an individual, and the interpretation that an individual has on the arrangement that kind of makes something human or makes a performance sound human. So why does that human feel sound good to us? I would say one... Give me some examples there, actually. Okay, okay. I, I think I do have some examples here. So let's go through each individual one of these. I'll break them down a little bit, and then we can okay, talk about perfect. examples. So, or, or do you want me to talk about... I'm sorry, I'll step back. Do you want me to talk about <laughs> examples of... What I just mentioned there, like the rhythm and dynamics. Yeah, and yeah, the things you mentioned, like the touch or whatever. Just like give me a couple of quick yeah, examples of, of that. For example, I know my band, we just recorded a single not too long ago. And this was kind of an annoying thing for me to work on as an engineer. Sorry, Matt. But uh, <laughs> when he was playing this snare, he had this like kind of rolling, uh, marching snare drum pattern with some accents and a steady kick drum beat. 
but because of the accents on the snare, his kick wasn't exactly perfect quarter notes. There were some anticipations, so not every kick drum hit was hitting on the beat. And that was just mm-hmm. the natural way that him as a drummer kind of interpreted that. So that's just kind of a natural imperfection in his rhythm that came out in his playing. And although it wasn't perfect, I didn't fix it to be perfect. I kind of corrected it a little bit because I wanted to maintain that human feel because it gave it an interesting characteristic. Now, mm. another thing we could talk about too, um, especially when we talk, talk about feeling and touch, I think of my sister when she plays violin and how depending on the type of song, if it's a, a fiddle type of tune that's fast paced, more like bluegrass or country, she's going to pl- play in a way where she's maybe not pressing on the, the notes quite as hard or she's bowing the strings a lot quicker and moving around mm. a lot quicker. Whereas if she's playing something a lot more somber and dynamic or classical, she's really going to dig in and those bow strings are going to be long and her body's going to get into it a lot more. So that's something that's really hard to kind of, I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but that's kind of a lot harder to reproduce that on a MIDI controller or with programming in your DAW. Yeah, I have a I have a stupid example actually, but you know the company Boston Dynamics that makes all those uh, robots that do yes walk around like humans. Yes, the terrifying videos. So, yeah. <laughs> yes, terrifying videos. If you haven't checked them out, go check them out. But one of the things they talk about is like one of the hardest things to get a robot to do is pick up a cardboard box. Okay, and the reason is because if you if you grip it too hard, you'll crush it, mm. and if you don't grip it hard enough, you won't pick it up and like humans that's something humans can do really well and this kind of applies to instruments as well because it takes that perfect amount of pressure where you can feel it you can kind of feel it when you grab the box well the same thing with like a fiddle where like a robot playing a fiddle wouldn't have that sense of like light touch and nuance right it would just be plowing through like the robot devil from futurama (laughs) right exactly so and the last thing i mentioned too was um But this goes in, uh, it's related to the unique touch an individual has, but also the interpretation any individual has on an arrangement. And Mm. some of my favorite musicians and bands are those people that have played for so long that they have this style where you can tell even in the recording that it's kind of improv that they picked a certain take that they liked from maybe doing three passes or a lot more than that. And they decided to keep that, not because it was the perfect part to play in the song, but because they were inspired in that exact moment to play that, whatever it was. And it's just a captured moment in time. And that's something super special that's really hard to reproduce with machines. Yes, totally. Okay, so let's dive into what is it about this human feel that sounds so good to us? And I think I've identified three things, and if you can add any to that, that would be... Awesome, but let's talk about these three things that I've identified. Uh, One, it's interesting to listen to. So, especially in a song with simple parts that are repeated over and over and over again, like think of maybe even a punk band or pop punk where you have rhythm guitars that are playing the same chords, eighth notes, you know, the whole way through the song. (laughs) Uh, A human plays... A human that plays that same part or tracks that same chord progression throughout a song is going to have minute differences uh, all the way through the song that a MIDI part isn't going to have if it's quantized to the grid or if it's copy-pasted the whole way through. So mm-hmm. just the simple part is going to be way more interesting. One of my favorite albums, Stadium Arcadium by the Red Hot Chili Peppers, uh, the guitar solos in there... Uh, a lot of the guitar solos that John Frusciante tracked, he played parts of them out of time where he would slow down purposely to be slower or faster than the um, the tempo of the track. And it just creates this mm. interesting push and pull in the listening experience. But it also like immediately communicates, oh, this is a human that's playing this, more so than just having something that's so perfect and quantized to the grid. Like that's what computers do really well, I guess is what I'm what I'm trying to say is computers are really good at 
copying and repeating and doing things perfectly. But humans are really good at new at, at nuance and abstract art and creativity and and that whole mm. kind of thing. And I think it's that kind of humanness that is relatable. Cool. Any comments on that, or do you want me to keep going? Yeah, I'm thinking a little bit about what you said here. And really, it's conveyance of emotion, which is kind of the last thing you said. But you can really, you know, you can convey an emotion with a performance. And that takes a lot of tempo variation, feel variation, how hard you're playing the notes, which notes you are, which kind of beats you articulate. And when you break all those things down, if, if you were to look at a complex performance, it's all there, but it's, it's an intricate program without good patterns. It's really because it's about emotion. So yeah, those things are hard to replicate with a algorithm. I yeah. Guess. Perfect segue. Cause that was my, that was my second point. So I will just move on to number three that you basically said exactly what I was going to say, but uh-oh, <laughs> the, thir- the third reason uh, that I think that a human feels sounds so good is it's because it's familiar to other human beings that are listening to the performance. And I have in my notes here that I feel this way a lot whenever I'm mixing something that's, especially with drums when it's MIDI programmed, because me being a drummer, a lot of times when I get stuff that's uh, that either I do quickly or that clients give me and I'm listening to it, sometimes I'll get hung up on drum fills or parts and I'll just kind of stop and listen to it over and over again and think to myself, there's something about this that doesn't sound like a drummer. And I'll try to get in the head of that to feel out why. Is it the velocity patterns? Is it the fact that the part is too perfect for how complex it is? Because even the best human drummer out there is going to be physically limited by the time it takes their... If they have to do a fill that requires their left hand to be from one side of the kit to the other, it physically takes time for them to move that arm. And so Mm. sometimes MIDI doesn't kind of, it doesn't reflect that because you can program anything in any timing. So sometimes when I'm listening back to those perfectly programmed parts, I'll have to like undercompensate for the computer to make it feel more like a human that has physical limitations. If that makes sense. Yes. <laughs> That's so funny, dude, because I got I was doing um I didn't get end up winning the project, but I was I uh, got this project to kind of humanize or come up with drums for this this prog metal band and they had already programmed some kind of performance and they just wanted it to sound more human. So I loaded it up and I was it, I was re, I was changing everything. And what I I'm not I'm not even a drummer, but what I ended up doing to make sure that the stuff I was programming was playable was, and I do this a lot was I'm actually sitting there like <laughs> playing the part, drumming it with my hands and like trying to replicate the fills just to make sure that I'm not having that problem where I'm not asking like to move from the snare to the crash in like 0.2 seconds. Right. Yeah. I do the same thing just to make sure that it makes sense because pretty much every instrument is like this because your hands are involved, but drums in particular, a lot of the patterns and the rhythms, they require you starting with your left or right hand, depending on what the part is. So I'll just kind of physically play it out to make sure, can I physically do these moves? Mm, (laughs) Which is, it's funny to like see this. I'm sure that my wife, when she comes in and sees me working on a project and I'm just there like air drumming, it's like, what the heck is is going on here? (laughs) That's like, those are like my, some of my favorite flow moments in the studio is when I'm just like, I got a good groove going and I'm, I can't drum, but I'm like, just, I can hit the snare, you know, I can hit the fake snare. (laughs) But you know, isn't it interesting though? And like I'm a drummer, but you said you weren't a drummer, but these things are all very apparent to humans, even if we don't play the instrument. As a listener, it's very apparent what is human and what isn't human. Yeah, I mean, I would I would say it does take a bit of practice. Uh, I'm not a drummer, but I, I've just always been drawn to the drums and mm. I, I listen to drums. I tend to listen to drums very carefully in a performance. I would say just if you feel like you don't know what we're talking about, don't be discouraged that it is, I would say just when you listen to music in the course of listening to music, just listen to what drummers are actually playing. And eventually you'll start to develop that, that ear for the groove. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know how intuitive it is right off the bat, but uh, having been doing this for as many years as I've been trying to program drums, I feel like I've gotten better at it certainly than when I first started, you know? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you have the advantage of of being a drummer, which is definitely a huge advantage. 
But to, I'm just saying that, like, even if you're not a drummer, you can definitely acquire this. Mm-hmm. For sure. Absolutely. Okay, cool. So uh, why don't you go on to your part that you had? Yeah, so now that now that we kind of understand about some of the, the humanity of performances, let's talk quickly about different ways to record MIDI. So if we've set our mind to recording a MIDI track, we can do a couple of different things. One is we can use kind of the stereotypical MIDI controller, which basically looks like a keyboard. And you can hit record in your DAW and you can play your MIDI controller like you play a keyboard and you would be recording actually the MIDI information. So again, those four pieces of information we talked about. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another possibility is you can use a less typical MIDI controller. So something like drum pads, right? Which my MIDI controller has like built-in little drum pads. They're great for programming drums. You can use an electronic drum kit, for example, for programming drums. And we'll talk about some of the stuff in a bit. But really, anything with a button can be a MIDI controller. You can use right? a Nintendo all controller equal. to record MIDI. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, they're not all created equal, and we'll talk about why in uh, down the road here in this episode, but technically anything with a button can be used to record MIDI information. The third way I have is uh, programming manually. So this is where you can open up your, it's called a piano roll, which basically kind of the, the vertical part is represented by a keyboard it's like each each row is a key on a keyboard and then you can actually draw in manually using your mouse you can draw in midi notes and that'll work as well and you can also use this for for editing which we'll get into so you can use kind of a hybrid technique where you have a live performance and then you can edit it so those are kind of the three main ways to create a midi file and the next thing i had was kind of like the limitations of these methods. Uh, do you want to talk about that a little bit? A lot of times we run into this problem. I know even me who uses MIDI a lot, sometimes I run into this problem of whatever part I'm trying to record, it's just not sounding right. Uh, or it's not sounding the way that I want it to, or as real as I'd like it to. And I'd like to identify some different reasons to why our MIDI programming or virtual instruments don't sound as good. Uh, one, I'm going to say that One of the reasons it could be is that there's less nuance in the notes being played. So to give you an example or an analogy of this, every time I play a note on guitar, and this is like actually playing, like an acoustic guitar, every time I pluck a string, it's going to have a unique sonic signature, like a snowflake that's different from every (laughs) every other note that I've ever played in my life. There's Mm. there's no way that as, as much as I'm going to try... There's no way that I can physically play that same note to be sonically identical to a note before. And that's not so much the case with a virtual instrument. Um, They've gotten a lot better in recent years, but we've kind of talked about this before a little bit, But and I don't remember quite what episode that was, but I'll review a little bit. So let's think about a drum sample. A lot of times a, a drum sample from a program like what is it, Slate Trigger, it's not just one specific drum sample, it's a malt of a whole bunch of different samples that were sampled in a studio. It could be six or more. I don't know what the actual number of samples that they have. But what happens is whenever you trigger in on your MIDI keyboard uh, to have a snare hit, it's going to randomly pick one of those sampled notes to put in there. And even though it's better than just having the same sample played over and over again, there's a limited number. You're only going to get one variation of those 12 different samples that were recorded somewhere in somebody else's studio. Whereas with a real performance, there's an infinite number of different ways that you can play that snare drum hit and record that hit. So that's the first reason that that um, virtual instrument might not sound as a real as a real drum part. Did you want to add something to that, Vadim? Sure. So yeah, I, I have the same kind of bulleted list here. And, and this is one of my bullets is the quality of the virtual instrument. And you've already hit on a lot of the things here. You, you talk specifically about drums. Um, and yeah, what you're saying there is basically pretend what's happening here. When they when they sample this drum kit, they have a drummer sitting there in front of a snare. And let's say that drummer, they, they tell that drummer to hit the snare drum 
three different times at each, you know, at a low velocity, a medium velocity, and a high velocity. Well, then that's nine different samples of the snare that you can trigger with your MIDI performance. The more samples you have and the more articulations you have, kind of the more variation you can have in that performance. So yes, one of the one of the limitations is does your virtual instrument have the right articulations for the for the actual instrument? So you talked about drums. I'll mention like bass. I'll play some examples in a bit here, but like does the bass have the finger noises? Does your virtual instrument include the finger noises and the fret noises or little things that are going to kind of you know add some realism as when you're when you're sliding up and down between notes? The second thing is how many different velocity layers do you have? The velocity is how hard you hit the note. So again, if you only programmed one velocity layer, well then every single snare hit is going to be hit with the same exact velocity. That's going to be very robotic sounding, especially if you have like a couple of quick snare hits in a row, right? And then, uh, yeah, that's, and then the last one was just, yeah, multiple samples at each velocity. So, okay, I have a low, medium, high, but I want multiple at each of those levels so that I can have a little bit of variation again, which is really only important for snare rolls and maybe actually maybe i'll should is this a good time for a drum drum yeah, example let's throw some or do you examples want to, in you have more to say yeah let's throw some examples in yeah so i have um just an example midi pattern uh tr triggered off of a real drum kit and this is just this is something that is quantized to the grid like you said and all the notes are at the same velocity so let's listen to what the sounds like So you can hear it's not bad already because this is triggering real drum samples, right, from a real drum kit. But especially on that, like, hi-hat, it sounds very mechanical, very robotic. Mm -hmm. And again, there's kind of two problems with this. We the, the good thing is we have good samples, but the bad thing is all our velocities are at the same exact level. So everything is being hit with the same exact force. And everything is quantized perfectly to the grid. So we have... Uh, very much a robot devil <laughs> drummer here. So check out the same clip uh, with a uh, little bit humanized for uh, off of the grid. So instead of everything being quantized perfectly to 16th notes, now things are a little more humanized um, off of the grid. So it's not quite as locked and quite as robotic. Check out what this sounds like. That's so much better. I feel like it is. It's definitely better. It's definitely better. But those hi-hats are really still a mood killer. <laughs> <laughs> but what I imagine, so one thing I'll add to that, like, and I think this is a really yeah. great example. So if I was to hear that and imagine a drummer playing that, you could theoretically have a drummer that's just doing that hi-hat pattern with just his right hand. You know, and I can't even, I can't even speak that fast. <laughs> so... If I can't even speak that fast, imagine how tired your right arm is going to be getting from playing that pattern. So what I really think that naturally what a drummer is going to do is do an alternating pattern, right, left, right, left, mm. and then snare in between. And just from the nature of the drummer playing right, left, right, left, you're going to get an immediate difference from your right and left hands. Yes, that's a great point. That's a great point. Picture like a right-handed drummer maybe hitting a little bit harder with their right hand than the left hand. So yeah, just you're right. They're probably going to be playing it kind of alternating. Mm -hmm. And so just that alternating variation is going to create some difference there. And this is exactly where we get into velocity and why I think velocity is even more important than not being locked to the grid. So let me play the last two bars of this, uh, uh, of this uh, not quantized but still to the grid, and then I'll play you two bars... Um, of variating velocities which have been varied in such a way as to represent what a real drummer would play. So check the, check out this one first. All right, and now check out this one where the only difference is that now the velocities have been adjusted. The timings are all the same, but the velocities have been adjusted. Cool. 
much better, right? Now you got that kind of you got that kind of push and pull, like you were saying. Maybe one hand is hitting a little bit harder, so much more realistic. Um, and just to show you why the sample part is important, I'll just have one or two more here. I have like this is just an electronic drum kit, right? So there's not real drum samples here, and even with varied velocities. Actually, I'm not sure if I varied velocities here, but without having those quality drum samples, you're not going to get obviously a real, it may sound obvious, we're not going to get a realistic sound. Here's what those uh, last two bars will sound like on an electronic drum. <laughs> now, it may sound obvious on the kick and snare, but you can hear that even like those, those quick hi-hats just don't sound great. 16th notes where every single hit is exactly the same sample just doesn't sound good. Yeah, it, in, instantly in my mind, it changes genres. I think, oh, this is it. Yeah. <laughs> this is an EDM or a hip-hop tune. And so I think that's something important to note if you're producing your own samples is that if you're trying to do... Uh, if you're trying to record your metal band and use an electronic drum kit, you're going to run into this problem where why does it sound like my guitars and bass are freaking awesome, but my drummer sounds like he's playing drums for Skrillex? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. And and uh, actually, just to, to bring that point home, I, I I was fooling around with some other stuff and I put that same pattern into like just some kind of like tabla percussion and it sounded awesome and then i layered it with something else just check this out for fun cool that's awesome Isn't yeah it, it is <laughs> that's one of my favorite things about midi is you can kind of supercharge your creativity where you know you wrote a part using one instrument and then you can just instantly drop it into another instrument and be inspired that's a great way to be creative too. I did that on a, a single I produced for um, the artist Alyssa. She had come over to the studio and recorded like her piano lead part. And by accident, I shifted that MIDI into a different track. And it was more like an effects track and it created this really cool effect and I kept it in the song. It was a complete accident. That's awesome. Yeah, but yeah, happy accident. I love stuff like that, yeah. So one other thing I wanted to mention here too... Um, my only other point about why a, a virtual instrument or MIDI programming might sound bad is that the feel that you're trying to input, so we talked about feel earlier and why feel is really important in making an instrument sound real. The feel that you're trying to put into the specific instrument that you're emulating with your virtual instrument, that feeling can be lost just due to the MIDI controller or the, pro, the way you're programming uh, your MIDI is just not a natural way to convey the feel. And I think drums is a good example. Playing drums on a keyboard is really weird. And I actually have this really funny story about my friend who doesn't know too much about um, recording in a studio, but he's a really good drummer. And I had him come over to my place to put in a drum part for a song he was working on. And I just thought it would be natural for him to play something on the MIDI keyboard because I do it all the time. But as good of a drummer, he he is, he just couldn't get his hands to play the same drum beat on a MIDI controller because he had never done it before. And so even though he mm. has all that feel and can put it into a drum kit, it was just completely lost. Yeah, that, that goes into my bullet point of, my, my first bullet point actually was, you know, the quality of the performance. And um, that's where you get into like, does the performance match the intended instrument? So mm. like, a, the stupidest example of this is like I have five fingers on my left hand, which means I can trigger five things on a drum kit at once. And that's just with one hand. Well, guess what? A real drummer only has four limbs with which to trigger. Yes. You know, quote unquote, trigger something on a drum kit. So you got to be be careful there. And that's um, one of the greatest sins of MIDI drum programming. <laughs> that's the, yeah, that is the great. I agree. That's the greatest sin for sure. Um, and we'll get into some other ones with uh, like when we talk about more complex instruments. But that is um, another thing you mentioned, which I have as well, is the quality of the MIDI controller. So I have, uh, for example, a MIDI controller that's like really, really bare bones. And you can you may know this from keyboards as well, but like the key on a keyboard may only have two or three different velocity 
settings, so sensitivities, right? So you can press the key maybe lightly, medium, or hard, and it kind of quantizes what you press, so to speak, to one of those, light, medium, or hard. Well, even if you have an awesome virtual instrument that has 20 different MIDI steps or uh, velocity steps, if your MIDI controller doesn't have 20 different velocity steps, you're not going to be able to program uh, as realistic a performance. The good news is that this is where editing MIDI becomes really important. I've never, ever, ever in my life programmed a drum part that I didn't have to go in and edit velocities on, even if the timing was good, because inevitably I hit a little too hard with my finger and I get a spike velocity and I'll have one hi-hat that's (laughs) at 127 and the others are at 50, and so you always have to tweak those things. But that's the cool thing about MIDI is you can do that. Yeah, and that can also be like one of the unintuitive parts of it is... Just thinking that, oh, I have to, it's normal to go in and have to uh, fine tune these things, uh, fine touch the velocities after the fact, but that is a total normal thing and it's something you should get used to doing if you're tracking your own MIDI parts because it's so hard to get something that sounds realistic and consistent velocity wise. Two other points I have here on, you know, the quality of the MIDI. Uh, how, how successful we're going to be using a MIDI performance. One is just the intended role of the MIDI instrument. Mm. So, you know, whether it's a feature piece of your song or composition or whether it's a kind of a background buried layer piece makes a huge difference. Um, I think we both have examples of some horns. You can fake horns pretty damn well if they're like a background layered piece. But you're not gonna be you're not gonna make a Miles Davis <laughs> a Miles Davis solo, most likely with MIDI. So that's one important consideration is like if it's a background layer, you'll probably have good luck with MIDI for most things. Not all things, but most things. If it's a feature piece, you may want to look elsewhere, unless it's something that's easily replicatable, like uh drums is is one of the easier ones to replicate. Um and yes, kind of hand in hand with that is the nature of the instrument you're trying to uh, to model, so to speak. So as we said, drums are like transient noises. They're instantaneous. They're fairly easy to replicate. Strings, if it's like long legato playing, and again, it's kind of soft, that's fairly easy to replicate. And same thing for horns. Electric guitars are very difficult. And they're difficult for the reasons that Ben mentioned. There's there's so many different articulations. There's bends and micro bends that are, you know, quarter steps and, and smaller. There's string noise and finger noise that actually make a huge part of the performance. And there's variations in pick attack. These complexities make it very difficult to mimic uh, like something like a guitar solo with MIDI. And I tried. So <laughs> I have some examples of that. <laughs> yeah, very well said. Cool. So what I have next is some tips and tricks for making virtual instruments sound more human. That's where I'm going Perfect. Next. Me okay, too. Okay, cool. <laughs> I think a good example of this is the Gorillas, the virtual band Gorillas. They released their album mm-hmm. Humans in 2017. And I didn't know this when I first listened, but uh, in an interview I saw Damon Alburn, who is kind of the creative brain behind this, he said that the majority of the instruments on that album were all recorded live, but using... MIDI controllers and virtual instruments. So the idea was to have these typically robotic synths and sounds, but performed by humans to get that kind of human touch and articulation. With that being said, I want to get into some tips and tricks. So the first one I've got here is, whenever possible, uh, play your parts like you would a live recording and avoid quantization. Um, Use the drum pads on some MIDI controllers is another subtext that I have on that. And this can be pretty tricky, uh, especially if you're not particularly good at whatever instrument part that you might be recording, or if you're not super familiar with keyboard in particular, because most MIDI controllers are are keyboards. Um, So for me, like I'm really rusty on piano and keyboard parts, so a lot of times I have to go really slow, but you don't have to do the whole performance at once. You can even do uh, your left hand and right hand separately, but a lot of times I'll do that and just try to. That's exactly what I do, actually. <laughs> Is it? Yeah. So yeah, why, why don't you yeah. jump in here and tell me some more about what you do? Because I, I try to do this a lot. 
No, no, no. Keep going. I just, I just thought that was funny because I, I'm always embarrassed by that when I do it. I just shake my head. I'm like, oh my god. But <laughs> one of the reasons is because my MIDI controller is really small, my main one, yeah. and I, I don't like using my bigger one. But anyway, that's funny that you do that too. So I feel a little bit better. No, dude, that, there's <laughs> nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that, especially for tracking. Like I will try to write the parts together to make sure they make sense. But when I'm trying to track, right. I'll do them separately. I guess what I'll just add, I'll add one thing here is just consider the MIDI controller you will use. In general, the closer the controller is to the actual instrument, the better your results will be. Unless you know, assuming of course you play that instrument. So if you're a drummer, if you have an electric drum kit, that can probably be used to record MIDI, and yeah. that's probably going to give you a more natural result than using a keyboard. Absolutely, great point. Uh, the second thing I have in here is. Um, program in some human feel. I know in Studio One, they have a humanizer function, but uh, other DAWs probably have some type of randomizer. Mm -hmm. So this, is, this can be a great way. It's not necessarily as good as if you can just track it live without quantization, but if you have to quantize it or program it by clicking on the piano roll, this is a great way to introduce some more randomness to make it sound more human. Yeah, and I'll throw out a number here because I fooled around with this a lot. I think somewhere between like 12 to 20% random randomization is typically a, a decent starting point. You got to be careful going too high because things start to sound really sloppy and sloppy in an unnatural way because think about what randomization is doing. It's literally introducing randomness so a drummer, a human drummer, as we said, will not play a part perfectly, but there's still going to be some rhyme or reason to it. It's going to, you know, if they're speeding up, they're going to kind of speed up over the course of a couple of yeah. bars. And same thing with slowing down. When you introduce randomness, it's literally random. So like one hit might be late. The next hit is early. It's going to sound bad. So somewhere around like 15% is usually a nice starting point for me. That's interesting. I'll... I'll put a different number on it because the way the humanizer feature works in Studio One is it lets you pick um, the percentage up and down of velocity and and back and forth of the rhythms. So normally what I try to pick is for velocity, a difference of 6% total. And then for rhythms, I'll pick something like 5% on either side, so 10% total. Um, I guess what that means is 100% would be a full note earlier. Ah, okay, okay, interesting. Yeah, so that's that's just a different way of thinking about it, but I agree with what you said. Yeah, in, in general, I think um, my experience, at least with drums, which is most of the programming I do, my experience, as I mentioned, is that velocity is more important than timing. I would rather take something snap to the grid with humanized velocity than vice versa, and for that reason, I really don't rely on any kind of algorithms for velocity, as crazy as this sounds. I go through and adjust my velocities note by note because I'm anal like that. <laughs> I kind of agree with that too. Just And the other reason for why that is is because even though in MIDI you have 127 different velocity notes that could be programmed into that, very often there's not 127 different velocities in your virtual instrument pack. And so you'll have these random jumps where I know in some, sometimes it's annoying to me uh, in some sample packs where you'll go from 80% 80 or I'm sorry, an 80 on the MIDI velocity scale is like a medium quiet hit and then 81 is medium loud. And you'll get this random jump that's a great point, Ben. Yeah, you're totally right. So yeah, MIDI for some, I, I'm sure there's a reason for it, but there's 127 different velocity steps. And most likely your sample, let's say for a snare drum is not nearly going to be 127. So what you're talking about, there's a point there where like 80 is triggering one sample and 81 is already enough to trigger the next sample and they're, they sound vastly different. So that's a great point. You will, you will have those jumps. Yeah. In fact, I'm working on a song today where I bounced out all my audio and then started doing the mix. And I was like, ah, oh, these kick drums are not consistent. And uh, I might have to go back and rebounce them. <laughs> That's annoying. But I'm glad you recognized it now <laughs> to go and fix. Yes, yes. Okay, cool. Uh, so my third point, and we might have touched on some of these. So let me read ahead here really quick. Uh, you kind of touched on this really quick. But 
draw in the parts that need more fuel by hand. And that, that's literally what you just said, the change the velocity and the rhythms. I do this with drum parts, so we're literally the same. Okay, point four real quick. Um, know the limitations. We touched on this, uh, this one as well, but know the limitations of your virtual instruments and how they sound best. Uh, an example of this is I use violins and strings as background instruments almost 100% of the time. Uh, drum, some drums sound better than others, and some sound best to support the real drums and not as standalone drums. And you, I mean, your example earlier was a perfect example of this an electronic drum kit. That's a good supporting thing, or for, or to be genre specific rather than a sample li library like um, modern, is it modern drummer? No, that's the magazine. Superior Drummer. Superior Drummer is the one. Like, that one's made to be a standalone drum sample pack library. Right. right. So just know the limitations. And finally, this is the last point I have here, so you can add on to this if you have anything else, but uh, genre plays a big part into how real you want your instruments to sound. So sometimes real isn't what you want, and mm. this comes in. this comes into play a lot it comes into play a lot more with like pop, hip hop, and EDM genres in comparison to maybe Indian folk. Like those are kind of opposite ends <laughs> of the spectrum there. But I'll even talk about the differences in rock music. So if you're an indie rock band, sometimes you want only real drums. You want that real live feel. But if you're a metalcore band, you might be used to hearing your drums a certain way on every record and you think that that's what a real drum kit sounds like but it's actually heavily sample replaced and <laughs> almost all of the dynamics and velocity are gone so sometimes in those genres what you want is something that sounds more mechanical i like it i have a couple more here for for complex instruments you can consider some some sound some sound libraries will let you do this you can consider adding a second track just for articulations so for example, you may have a programmed baseline, but then you can add a second track that's just articulations like fret noise, finger noise, and you can program those in strategically to make the baseline sound more organic. So you basically have two different tracks, one for notes, one for articulations, and that can work remarkably well, but it is very time intensive. So if you can play the bass line, it's better to just play the bass line, but that is an option for you. Another thing I found is for programmed drums, including plenty of room mic, you know, the room mic emulation is going to make your drum sound more realistic. Great point. Uh, just just kind of smooths things out a bit. And another thing I found, I use actually a ton of stock Pro Tools stuff that just came with Pro Tools. They have this uh, synth called Expand 2. Our virtual instrument, it's got a million things in it. And 90% of the time, not for drums, but for anything other than drums, I just reach for that 90% of the time. But what I find is that a lot of the virtual instruments are okay, but they sound overly bright and harsh. So that's a pretty easy fix. I just do a little high-end roll-off with an EQ, add some reverb and maybe like a tape emulation to warm things up a bit. And typically that makes them sound a lot more human as well. What instruments are you talking about in particular? Are these synths? Yeah, synths, strings, and um, I use actually some bass oh, cool. emulations as well occasionally. Um, there's actually, I'll, I'll play an example actually. There's a really cool like upright, oh, nice. uh, like a double bass type thing that uh, actually sounds remarkably good. It's come stock with Pro Tools. Um, yeah, man, you want to get into some fun uh, examples Let's do it. and stuff? Yeah, I'd love to. Let's see. I got a couple here. I know you have a couple as well. You want to start with one? Start us off on something? Yeah, since you already played drums, why don't I give my drum example as well? And I don't know if I'm... <laughs> my examples are more like, here's humanized and here's quantized. I don't think I'm as detailed as yours, but uh, I just wanted to play some different examples. So let's start with just the top thing in there, the drums quantized. So this is All a right, this go. is a drum part that I programmed for for an artist, but this is 100% to the grid and the velocities are all exactly the same. So let's take a listen to that.
Interesting. So to me, right away, obviously the uh, the the high hat or the symbol, whatever's being played there, obviously kind of jumps out to me right away. And then like the little fills are where it sounds unnatural. But other than that, yeah, it's I mean the the samples obviously are really good. What are you using, by the way? What's the? Uh, that's get get good drums invasion. They're really good. A really good sample library. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, so let's go right cool. to the humanized. We'll compare them. Okay. Nice. Cool. So very subtle difference, but probably the biggest thing that you noticed is that fill at the end where the yeah. velocities are specifically brought down because you don't want your fills to be at the same volume as your big, loud quarter note snare hits. Right. Right. Very cool. Um, yeah. So I, th I think let's move on. I like that we started with drums because I think, again, drums are one of the easier things to, to get to sound good using MIDI. Um, my next example is... Let's see, what do I have here? Oh yeah, I have my bass. This is the this is what I mentioned is just a, an upright bass line, which I'll play it for you alone and then in the context of the mix. Um, and I, again, this is just a stock Pro Tools virtual instrument. It's got, you'll hear, it's got the articulations of like fingers moving on strings, which I really like. And it sounds pretty good. I mean, it, it again, it, it wouldn't work for a feature, but it works in a track. Check it out. What do you think? I think it's really cool. Um, they even have some like fret buzz on some of the the notes, which is really cool articulations. The only thing that jumps out to me that even clues me in that it's not a real instrument is sometimes in the higher register you can hear, was that the same exact note that I heard before? And that's the only thing that clues me in because with yes. the real performance, yes. you would it wouldn't sound exactly the same. You would know it's the same note, but it would sound like oh, that's a different note than the note that came earlier. It's, it literally sounds like it was copied yes. and pasted. <laughs> Especially on, an, on a fretless instrument, right? Yeah. There's like, yeah. But check it out in the, uh, in the context of the mix. I hope this isn't, this isn't too loud. I, I think I it'll be fine. It down. Open your minds, time flies like a broken clock falling in the sky, so I go by my own time frozen inside. Time's up, but it won't stop my grind. My gears are spinning. I'm winning, no fear I'm living Crystal clears the inner vision In the driver's chair I stare to go win it I go and get it while they stare While I'm winning, like staring the phone Yeah, you, you can't even notice it in that Because your ear's not even listening to that mainly Right, exactly, because your ear is drawn to the vocals And actually, if you heard in there This is maybe where we can go next Is the horn part in there is MIDI Oh, really? As well, cool. I'm gonna just Yeah, I'm just gonna play that one part Again, so you can listen for it, but it's this is an example of where those horns, if I were to solo them, you would be like, mm, I don't think so. But in a busy mix with tons of reverb and the high end rolled off and buried in the mix, they sound pretty good. Check it out. My gears are spinning, the scare I'm winning, no fear I'm living, crystal clears the inner vision. In the driver's chair, I stare to go win it. I go and get it while they stare while I'm winning. Now, I would say that in hip hop, you can get a away with more sounds that sound fake. True. True. And, and I don't think that that's necessarily because, uh, I think that's more because a lot of artists have paved the way for that. So it's just, your ear is more accepting of that in that genre than you are of rock genres. But um, I love that you're kind of going for a more realistic sound anyways. It kind of sets it apart in my ears. Right, yeah, that, that track is a bit unique because I have the electronic drums, but I did want to have kind of a very jazzy backing band, kind of like the Roots type sound mm. to it. And my goal was to get a realistic horn sound. And so you could hear how I played a little bit with velocities and things like that. And again, it works in the context of the mix, but I wouldn't feel comfortable doing a horn yeah. solo. <laughs> okay, great. This is a great segue to, to mine as well. Now, I have two examples of this, and 
I don't know if it's really worthwhile to show the the quantized version of this, but maybe just the the humanized horns okay. soloed versus how they sound in the track, just to show you that okay, maybe those don't sound exactly 100% real, but you can't can't really tell in the context of the real song. So right, yeah. So same as my example. Cool. So let's play the soloed version. Yeah, it sounds a little cheesy, almost like Casio keyboard a little bit. I'm just hearing like, it's your boy! (laughs) (laughs) Waiting for the beat to drop. It's kind of like that, but different genre. So, cool. It's not not bad. I actually actually like those samples pretty well. Um, Yeah, okay. So now what's your next one is is of that in the mix? It's Zach Andrews Today, which is that same part, but mixed in with the rest of the song. Cool. Let's hear it. sounds amazing oh thanks man yeah that was tricky because he really that was actually the artist he wanted a horn solo at the end and i was like oh you want a horn solo (laughs) i don't know if i could do that but i did the best i could like i i knew the limitations of my instrument and so i picked things that i thought sounded more that i could get away with that sounded more realistic cool so the the last yeah that sounded awesome man the the last thing i tried was to i just wanted to see I've never tried this before. I wanted to see how well I could fake guitar. And this is going to be maybe my most actually powerful tip. One of my favorite MIDI tips is I found a program a couple of years ago called MIDI Guitar. And they make one for bass as well. Mm. And this allows you to plug your guitar in just like with a DI and use that DI to trigger MIDI. So it'll actually map polyphonically. It'll map what you're playing as MIDI and create you a MIDI file, which is awesome for me because I'm as, as much as I'm a half-assed guitarist, that is my most natural element or instrument for writing. So I'm most comfortable picking stuff out on a guitar. And so the flexibility of being able to create arrangements or at least the starting points of arrangements in MIDI using the guitar is huge for me. So what I tried was I tried recording this... Uh, guitar part. Let me just play it for you first. This is the actual guitar. So nothing fancy there. And then I just... Very Led Zeppelin-esque. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then I just tried to... Um, I basically recorded that that same part on the guitar using MIDI, and then I tried to trigger a couple of different instruments with it. So check this out. This is, again, all Pro Tools stock virtual instruments. And the first one is a 56 Stratocaster. Okay. Okay. Not bad. So... Yeah, I actually that was the one I massaged a little bit. Okay, okay. <laughs> the one the one that actually came off the guitar was was like this. So still not terrible, but when I was trying to humanize this, I was thinking like about the mechanics of playing a guitar. And when you think about what I'm doing here, I'm I'm strumming chords with a pick. So I'm hitting, the pick is making contact with the lower strings first and then moving up the guitar. And then not always, occasionally I'll have upstrokes. So when I try to humanize it, I try to make it so that my notes don't all start at the same exact time. Mm. I'm actually making it like I'm picking it. So my I have kind of a slanted start to my notes on the MIDI. And like, listen to the, you can especially hear it on this first chord, right? That sounds like a chord played on a guitar. Yeah. So that was one thing that that helped me. Then I thought, oh yeah, do you have any <laughs> you have any thoughts on that? Oh wait, before I do that. So my problem with this emulation was that there's so much of that pick attack and it sounds the same every time. It took me out of the performance. Mm. 
But I tried a couple of different ones, and there's some some sounded better. This one is just called Clean Electric Guitar. So check this one out. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's again, I What do you think? That's a really great observation cuz I know that there are a couple emulations of guitars that I have in my DAW and I've never thought mm. about separating out the MIDI notes when they actually hit. And it sounds so weird whenever you have a full like you know, a tritone chord played on guitar but every single note's hitting exactly <laughs> on the beat. It's just not natural. Right. And that, I mean, that's even true with keyboards. With keyboards, my humanization technique is just to kind of randomize the starts of the notes because when you press a chord with your five fingers, they're not all going to come down at the same exact time. But on a guitar, that sequence is actually super important if, if you're doing something like a strumming mm. part. So that's one thing to consider. Um, but I tried something. This is, this is, this is going to sound terrible, but I'm going to play it anyway. This is just, I was. Right before we started recording this, I was like, I'm going to try a little blues thing here. Okay, cool. <laughs> Let me see if this is the right one. So I was purposely trying to record something that had a lot of like bendy stuff and nuance in it. And I wanted to see whether the MIDI would be able to, to pick it up or not. And this is where I was telling you offline, Ben, where it, it uh, at the same time, it impressed me with how good it sounded and also with how unusable it was. <laughs> if you can hold both of those things in your head at the same time. So check this out. All right. No, you summarized it really well. I feel like I feel like I'm playing a PS1 game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. And I love how like at the end in the acoustic performance I had the uh I had the little let me just play this last note. It was like a little you know, just a little vibrato. But the MIDI just kind of crapped out. Quote unquote quantized that to like two different notes. <laughs> oh that's awesome immediately what i think is yeah that's kind of a fail whenever it comes to tracking like a guitar using midi but my mind Im immediately goes to oh, that would be a super dope intro to track something that way and then have oh. it turn into real guitar like that could be something really that cool that would be super cool that would be super cool. And of course, again, I can I can use this MIDI track. This is what I love is because it may be useless as a guitar track, but since we're sitting here, I'm actually just going to try to make this a uh, percussion track and just see what that sounds like. In the linear drumming. <laughs> now it's... Uh... Now it's... Uh... It's... Now it's poetry. poetry night. I was just going to say slam. that. <laughs> Beautiful. But that's <laughs> that that is the beauty of MIDI though. Just I know man, it it's, it's endless want. creativity. Well cool man. I think I don't want to add anything cuz I think that's a perfect note to to end on, but um yeah, I think that this has been a great episode and I hope you guys learned a lot from it and maybe you're not as afraid to use your midi uh midi programming and virtual instruments in the future right on check us out at diyrecordingguys.com get your free coaching call we can talk about midi tell us your midi woes and we'll uh we'll try to help you out and you can always email us vadim at diyrecordingguys.com and ben at diyrecordingguys.com until next time we remind you to check yourself or you wreck yourself have a good one If 
you're enjoying the podcast, take a minute to leave a rating wherever you like to listen to it or share it with your friends on social media. Also, Benjamin and I are working engineers and we love helping people turn ideas into finished productions. So if you're interested in working with one of us or just want to discuss a project you're working on, reach out. You can find my work at calmfrogrecording.com. Get me on Instagram at calmfrogrecording or shoot me an email vk at calmfrogrecording.com. And you can check Benjamin's workout at dreamloudstudio.com. Hit him up on Instagram at dreamloudstudio or by email ben at dreamloudstudio.com. And finally, join our Facebook group to engage with a whole group of friendly, like-minded people who are interested in DIY recording. Just search for DIY Recording Guys on Facebook. Thank you so much for listening and for your continued support. I'll see you next week.